I'd love it if, um, if you have a Bible, then it would be really good to turn to the New Testament and to John's Gospel. If you don't have a Bible, uh, don't worry about it because we'll, we'll teach through this thing. And if you have never read a Bible, it's okay, I'm going to help you understand exactly where we are. We're in a place called the New Testament, which is if you cut the Bible in half and turn right about an inch you get to the New Testament. And when you get to the New Testament, you're going to start with four books. Um, they're, they're called the Gospels, and basically the Gospel just means good news. And the good news is called good news because it's news, it's information about Jesus. Basically, it's eyewitness accounts to the life of the most incredible person that ever lived. I don't say that just because I'm a preacher. I say it as a matter of fact. Jesus is the most incredible person that ever lived. There'd be more books written about him, more armies marched for him, more buildings named after him, more pictures painted of him than anyone else ever, probably by two or three times in the history of the world. So whether you follow him or whether you don't like him, he is the most incredible person that ever lived. And over the next few weeks, all we're going to do is we're going to take a master class in who Jesus is and what Jesus has to say about about life. We're going to take a look at what Jesus has to say about some of the things that impact our life. What would Jesus have to say to me? Why does he have things to say at all? Why is he interested? And so we've, we've entitled the series Masterclass. And we're going to read from perhaps one of the most famous passages of Scripture, one of the most famous passages of English literature, probably one of the most famous passages of literature on the planet ever. Wow. There's a whole bunch of grandiose statements to start a sermon. John chapter 3. By the way, we live in the best city in the world, don't we? Like four of you think that. Like I have the privilege of traveling quite a lot and going to a lot of different cities, but we totally live in the best city in the world, don't we? I mean... Yeah, now more of you are involved. I mean, we, the weather sometimes is rainy. I get that. We don't have a very good football team. I totally get that as well. But we have some incredible things, don't we? we ha it's a city of the arts. It's a city of culture. It has the greatest festival in the world. It's a city of architecture, the most beautiful buildings. The people are not so bad. It's a city of education and thinking, isn't it? I mean, we're really big on the education thing, aren't we? The first question, if you've lived here for any amount of time, the first question that you will get asked by someone from Edinburgh is, where did you go to school? Usually. Honestly, that's kind of the question. It's because people want to be able to box you in. They want to be like, ah, I know who you are and how you're going to think and what you're going to... Because education is really important to us. Thinking is really important because truth is really important. We're the city of David Hume and Adam Smith and Robert Louis Stevenson and Sir Walter Scott and Joseph Lister and a whole bunch of other people who have thought about what is truth and how can we make truth apply to life. And if you went on a prospectus, even today, and you wanted to do almost any evening class in almost anything, you can do it because we're the kind of people who just want to improve ourselves. You can do automotive maintenance, Gaelic for beginners, patisserie confectionery, advanced stonemasonry, as well as beginners Chinese, Latin, and philosophy on Monday. You can do all those things. But here's my question. Where do you go? Where do you go when you want to get a masterclass on life. 
Where do you go when, you, when you've got beyond your learning? Where do you go when you want to get a masterclass on life? Where do you go when truth is not a thing? Where do you go in a world where truth is relative, where, where it's your truth, my truth, anyone else's truth, when it's not definitive and you can't stand the weight of your life on it? Where do you begin to go to form a foundation for your life that will stand and enable you to have hope when you come to the end of your learning and it doesn't work? Where do you go? When you, come, when you climb the ladder and find that there are no more rungs, where do you go? When you fall into the bottom of the ladder and find there is no more hope, where are you going to go for hope. The whole of our teaching in this term is predicated on the understanding that there is a master. There is one who has answers to the questions that you have. There is one who has hope in a world that's kind of given up on hope. And we're just going to spend some time, just even this evening, not an awful long time actually, just sitting at the feet of Jesus as he has an encounter with a really important man in the city of Jerusalem. What would Jesus say to Edinburgh today? Let's read from John chapter 3. We're just going to read a few verses. Scriptures say this. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Now, the Pharisees were a religious ruling party. They were the kings and queens of exclusion. You know, they, they were, you, you knew with the Pharisees whether you were in or whether you were out. They, they not only obeyed the rules and the law of Moses, they added a whole bunch of other rules and a whole bunch of other laws, including about 230 rules on who you could eat with and how you had to eat and what you had to wash when you had to eat. And if you burnt your dinner, whether you could give it to God as a sacrifice or not, it was just crazy stuff. They had these rules. But they were pretty good people. I mean, you wouldn't mind the Pharisee moving in next door to you because although they were pretty uptight, they would, their kids would probably rub off well on your kids. They were kind of good people. And Nicodemus comes to meet Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God for no one can perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he's old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. He's trying to work out this truth thing. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And then they have this whole conversation, philosophical and truthful conversation about, about what the Spirit does and how life comes and, and how it's possible to have a relationship with God himself. And then, and then Jesus says this incredible statement that has become probably the most famous sentence in the world. John chapter 3, 16, 26 words, beginning with God, ending in life, and inviting you to do the same. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Today, listen guys, we're going to meet a guy 
who's an important civil leader, in not just in the city, but in the nation. And he comes to Jesus because there's something missing in his life. He seems to have everything else going for him, but there's something missing for him. And he comes to Jesus, and he wants a masterclass in life. And Jesus is going to say to him and speak to him, speak to the philosophical foundation of this guy's life and of this city. And he's going to say, what if you're thinking wrongly? What if you're thinking about truth is all wrong? What if truth really exists? And what if you're overthinking? What if you've misunderstood the nature of truth? He's, he's not saying what you think is unimportant. Because it's not. Your brain is an amazing thing, isn't it? Some of your brains are more amazing than others. But your brain... Your, your brain is an amazing thing. You have millions of sensory neurons right now sparking. Apparently, in any given day, you'll have three billion different thoughts. In, in one millisecond, you can hold and delete 60 things that are going on with you right now, which makes it really difficult for you to keep your attention on me because right now you're thinking, I'm really pleased to be here. I'm glad I had that coffee, but I, I wish I hadn't had that coffee because I need a pee right now and I can't get out because I'm in the middle of a row and the person sitting next to me, ooh, they're going to be worried if I push past them. And did they deodorize? I wish they deodorized. And all that kind of thing is going through your head right now and now you're back with me because your brain is an incredible thing. It can hold incredible pieces of information all at one time. Your brain is a leader. What you think, you do. And what you do, you live. What you think, you do. And what you do, you live, so what you think becomes truth for you. And the danger is this, if what you think is deficient, if what you think about you and what you think about God and what you think about life and what you think about this world is wrong, it can cause you to live wrong. It can cause you to waste your life trying to run away from a God that isn't. It can cause you to waste your life trying to serve a God that isn't. It can cause you to have a wrong reaction and response to a world. It can cause you to act in a way that is inconsistent with who you've been created to be. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Here's the scene. He comes at night. He's a Pharisee, so he comes at night because it wouldn't be good for him to be seen with Jesus because he's supposed to have it all together. He's supposed to be a member of the ruling council. He's supposed to be Israel's teacher. Why would he be asking Jesus for answers to questions that he should know the answers to? But he, he's used to talking about God. He does it all the time. He's used to living his life for God. He does it all the time. But he doesn't know God. Did you know that's possible? You can talk about God. You can try to live your life for God. But not really know God and what it means to have a relationship with God. And not understand him moving in you and with you and for you. He waits for the night. He waits for the night to come to Jesus because Jesus just totally blows his mind. Everything he's heard about Jesus is, 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 is rocking his world because he's been taught to think that Jesus is some kind of rebel, but people who shouldn't like Jesus love Jesus. 
And people who should like Jesus are trying to kill Jesus. And Nicodemus can't square this because the way in which Nicodemus teach, Jesus teaches and the way in which Jesus heals people and the way in which he lives his life, it's all consistent with what he seems to say that he comes from God. And it's blowing his mind and so he comes. And he walks in to the room. And what he doesn't know is that Jesus is going to offer him a masterclass. He's going to offer him a masterclass in two sentences. The first sentence is five words. The second sentence is 26 words. The first sentence is going to wreck his world. And the second sentence is going to save his life. The first sentence is found in verse 3 and then verse 5. The first sentence is this. It's five words long. You must be born Again. And the second sentence is 26 words long. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Both of those sentences scream, you need to think again, Nicodemus. And you need to think differently about the way you think, Nicodemus. And that is going to change everything about you. But Nicodemus just walks in unaware that all that's going to happen to him. And he walks past strange people. He walks past fishermen and tax collectors and terrorists. He would know them. And he walks past them as he walks into the room. And everything that he's thought about Jesus is, is scrambled in his head because Jesus hangs out with these kind of guys. And then he meets Jesus and says this, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher that comes from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. In other words, he says, I've heard of you, and you really impress me. I've heard of you, Jesus, and you really impress me. And, and then Jesus says, verse 3, almost rudely, what he should have said was, I've heard of you too, Nicodemus, and you're impressing me. But instead he says, I'm speaking the truth, Nicodemus. No one can serve the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And, and we read it, and those of us who've hung around the Bible long enough just listen to that. And those of us who've never heard the Bible go, what even does that mean? But actually, it was totally offensive to Nicodemus. Five words, unless you are born again, you must be born again. And Jesus ruins him in five words. Everything Nicodemus had lived the whole of his life for is total ashes at this moment. He'd gotten out of bed in the morning and he tried to do the right thing. He'd obeyed every single law and he prided himself on it. In fact, he was Israel's teacher and he taught the law. This was what he based everything on. And Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom of God. No one can fully know God. No one can experience life. No one can do the right thing even unless they're born again. Nicodemus, your position is not going to serve you. Your power is not going to free you. Your piety will not make you. And none of these things are going to save you. You must be born again. It's just totally offensive. It's totally offensive because Nicodemus believed that if you were a religious Jew, you would seek the kingdom of God. If you obeyed the law, you would see the kingdom of God. If you, if you obeyed the law, you would meet God. You would know God. But Jesus says you must be born again. Now, we have a different problem with born again. The problem we have with born again is we've seen the media 
And we've seen people who are supposedly born again, Christians, particularly in the United States of America, and usually the media uh, paints them out to be, and often they are aggressive, judgmental, irrelevant, homophobic, out of touch, miserable people. That's what born again looks like. We campaign against things, we shout about things, we wave placards for things. That's what born again means. Jesus is just saying something really interesting. He's saying, no, no, the simple thing is, if you're going to truly live in God and live for God, God needs to give you a rebirth. That's what's got to happen. There are two words that were available to Jesus in the original language to mean again. Stay with me, this is important. The first word was the word palin, and the second word was, is the word anathon. Palin just means the repetition of an act, to do it again, something that was done earlier. But anathon is the word that Jesus uses. It also depicts a repeated action, but it requires the original source to repeat the action. So these two words are the difference between me getting up in some dodgy karaoke club and singing, I will always love you, which however good I am and I am pretty good, is never going to be as good or as perfect as Whitney or even Dolly Parton singing that song because they are the original artists. It's not just me repeating something that I've heard somewhere before, like a dodgy secondhand version. It's the original artist doing it again, and that's what we're being told here. You need to be born again. You were born. God did it. God saw to it. To be born again, God needs to do it again. In other words, you will never truly, spiritually, eternally live. You will never have the relationship with God that you were created to have unless God brings you fully alive by his spirit, unless you will be born again. Nothing you can do yourself can make this happen. God has to do it in you. In other words, you are not primarily an achiever. You are primarily a receiver of this life. God has to do it. And then Nicodemus has this conversation with Jesus. He says, how can a person be born again? Blah, 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 blah. Jesus is speaking on a spiritual level. Nicodemus is hearing on a physical level. Jesus says, Nicodemus, I'm speaking of spiritual birth. And interestingly, that's exactly what Nicodemus came for. I mean, he wouldn't have articulated like that. He would never have said, I've come to be born again because he didn't really get it. But this is what's rocking his, his world right now. He has everything that you could ever want. He has respectability and money and power and position. He's got it all. He's Israel's teacher. But life has left him empty. Life has left him searching. Life has left him thirsty. How about you? Have you ever found yourself thinking there must be more to life than this? Have you ever found yourself thinking there's a lack somewhere? I've got a whole bunch of stuff and I'm pretty well off and I I live in a pretty good part of the world and the the city I live in is great. They've got a rubbish football team, but the city I live in is is amazing. But in, in regards to everything else, there's something missing. Listen, guys, 
Stop for a moment. There are some things you can do for yourself. There really are. I hope so, at least. I hope that there are things that you can do for yourself. You're responsible for some stuff. But there are certain things that you cannot do for yourself in regards to hope and future and eternity and meaning and purpose and truth. Ultimately, there's nothing you can do for yourself. You can search the whole of your life and try to free yourself and you will not free yourself. There will always be limits. You can, you can search, you can, you can stuff any different color of stuff inside your life and it won't ultimately satisfy you because you can't satisfy yourself. You can't save yourself. Your education won't. Your thinking won't. Your morality certainly won't because God needs to do it. You're a receiver before you're ever an achiever. Guys, this is, I don't know if you get this. This is so radical. This is so, this is like the anti-religion religion. This is so, this is so radical. You can't do it. You can't make this happen. This, is, this, this church is not about telling you to be better or to do good things. Because ultimately you can't. you can't. You can't save yourself. You can't better yourself. You can't, you can't make yourself good enough for God. This is like rethink everything. Nicodemus is wrecked because he lived his whole life thinking if I was just a bit better, if I just obeyed a few more rules, if I was just nicer to people, if I was just purer than everybody else, if I just taught better stuff, then I'm going to be okay with God. And God says, no, that's not how it works. It just compounds your dissatisfaction. Jesus says, you must be born again. So he wrecks his head. And then he saves his life. 26 words beginning with God, ending in life. For God so loved the world. He said, you have to be born again, but, but, but God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You have to think differently. Thinking is different. If you're going to receive this new life, if you're going to receive this new birth, you have to be receptive to what God wants to do. So you're going to have to think differently about God. Nicodemus, you already understand that God exists because it's logical. I mean, what caused there to be something rather than nothing? What caused that something rather than nothing to be so beautiful and so brilliant to have such incredible design that almost seems as if it's tailor-made for us and for this world? What causes that conscience that we have universally inside of us that means we kind of know right from wrong even if we don't do right and we do wrong. What, what causes our need to, to worship something? What causes that in every generation? Nicodemus, you understand that God is, but you might just have the wrong view of what God is and who God is and how God is. Your understanding, Nicodemus, is that God is distant and disdainful and against you. But God loves. God's predisposition towards you is love, not hate. Which means you don't need to fear him, you can follow him. He's not against you, he's for you. You know all those names in the Old Testament that get identified with the person of God about he's powerful and mighty and he can do incredible things and he heals things. All of that stuff comes in the skin of a perfect father who's for you, who's not against you. He loves you, you've got to think differently about God. He wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want to rule over you or dictate life to you. He's not playing a game with you. And you've got to think differently about love. 
Love in this world so often is transactional and superficial and selfish. If I give you love, you give me love. We love. I want love from you, but I'm not willing to sacrifice to get love with you. But with God, his love is undeserved and unending. I love you because I love you because I love you. It's a perfect father love. I don't love you depending upon whether you perform or whether you do good things or whether you behave in a certain way or whether you look a certain style. I just love you. That's who I am. You've got to think differently about love. And you've got to think differently, Nicodemus, about this world. This world for the Pharisees was a place that you had to run away from and hide from because it was scary and it was dirty and it was filthy and you need to keep yourself clean from this world. But God so loved the world, says the Bible. God doesn't hate this world. He's not trying to get us to avoid this world. He totally loves this world. So much so that he came down and walked in the dust in this world. So much so that he weeps over this world. So much so that he dies for this world. So much so that he's trying to change this world, redeem this world, and transform this world. So much so that he sends his people into the world to make a difference in the world. Because he doesn't hate the world. He loves the world. For God so loved the world. You've got to think differently about people, Nicodemus. Now, guys, this is huge. Because Nicodemus is a Pharisee, and the Pharisees were the kings of exclusion. So as a king of exclusion, there was a whole long list of people who could never know God. It started with farmers. Couldn't know God if you were a farmer because you were dirty. You couldn't know God if you were a fisherman because you were also dirty. You couldn't know, seriously, this is, this is the truth. You couldn't know God if you were a shopkeeper because you were dirty. You couldn't know God because you were a healthcare professional. You're out as well. You couldn't know God if you were a cleaner. God hates cleaners. You couldn't know God if you were a hairdresser. They were immoral people. You couldn't know God if you were a Gentile. So basically, if you, if, like a Pharisee would say, everyone's out. You're all out apart from us. God likes us. So he kind of likes us. I'm not sure he loves us, but he kind of likes us. And everyone else, every other, every other kind of profession, you are out. And we go, how ridiculous. But actually, so often, that's how Christians treat people, isn't it? We're in... And if you have an obvious thing that we don't like about you, you're out. But the whoever clause in this passage of Scripture is God saying, everyone is in. Whoever believes. There are no boundaries to faith. God loves all people. God loves all people. You never meet a person that Father God doesn't love, that Jesus didn't die for, and the Holy Spirit isn't actively trying to win. You just never do. God loves all people, not white people, not black people, all people. Not straight people, not gay people, all people. Not young people, not old people, all people. Not rich people, not poor people, all people. And you could continue the list. God loves all all people, everyone gets to play in this incredible kingdom. Whoever, 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 whoever comes to the end of themselves and says, I can't do it, I can't make it, I can't run it, I can't solve it, I can't outthink it, I can't make it happen for me. I give up, I need you because you made me to need you. Whoever stops trying to fix it and solve it 
and outthink it. Whoever has had enough of living this life based on their own efforts. Nicodemus, I want you to think differently about God and love and world and people. And I want you to think differently about truth. I want you to think differently about truth. Truth is a person. If there was ever a truth, truth is a person. Truth is a person called Jesus. He is the centering point and the defining point in all the universe. I want you to think differently about truth. Whoever believes in me. It's interesting, that word believe in the original language is, is a word that means more than intellectual assent to anything. It's, it's a word that means not just intellectual truth, it means experiential truth. It means not just how you feel with your head, it means how you feel with your heart, what happens with your hands, and where you put your feet. In other words, the person that says, I believe in God. I believe that God loves the world. Whoever believes in him, I believe, is saying, I'm going to stand the whole of the weight of my life, my future, my finances, my career, everything I ever become on the belief in my heart and in my head that there is a God in heaven who is a father who loves me because he loves me because he loves me who has a plan for my life that is way bigger than and way better than any plan I could ever have for my life and designed me to be born again so that I might spiritually live. I want you to think differently, Nicodemus. And all of that happens and all of that changes and we know that Nicodemus' life gets turned upside down to the point when he begins to follow the person that he should hate. All of that happens and all of that changes because Nicodemus encounters Jesus. And all we want to do over these few weeks is to give you an opportunity to meet Jesus. Which I know is a weird thing to say. But we have this ridiculous belief according to the Bible and according to what we've experienced that he's here. And if you meet Jesus, he changes things. He changes the way you think. He changes the way you live. He changes the way you act. And he changes everything about your life for the better. I'd love to pray for us. I don't know if you've ever thought um, there must be more than this. If you ever have, you're right. There is. If you ever have, it's because God designed you to think that way. Because God made you for more than this. He made you for himself. And even in the quietness God is here. So just um, just spend a moment and allow him to speak to you.
for speaking to your searching into your questions, into your doubts, into the way you think. Jesus, I pray that you would meet with people right here, right now, and change lives.